Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Grace This Weekend. Hey, uh, before I jump into our conversation, I wanted to talk with you guys a little bit about uh, some availability at some other services of Grace Church. So a couple things are going to happen. If you're out in the lobby, listen to me. It's the voice of Jeff speaking to you uh, out in the lobby. So something's going to happen this week, starting like right after service today, we're actually going to strip the lobby bare and put a remodel on it. And it's uh, finishing up what we've been doing here next door. So when that happens, uh, the lobby is not going to serve as overflow anymore. It's going to serve more as a gathering space because we really believe that you interacting, praying with, hanging out with each other is uh, in many ways as valuable as us being in this room together. So that's going to change our seating dynamics. And I, uh, with that, we want you to know that on Saturday nights, there are services at 5 or 6.45. There are seats there and chances to get to know and connect with people, and there's parking. And on Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15, so a half hour after the start of services here on Gent Road, over at the extension, same service, same music, same musicians, I'm there the whole nine yards. There are seats there and parking as well and lots of opportunities to interact with each other. So we want you guys to function in community and we want you to know that those are opportunities that are open to you. If you, I want you to do me a favor, okay? Ready? I don't ask for much, so here's a favor. If you've never tried the extension, try it. That's all I'm asking. Spend a couple weeks over there, give it a shot. Uh, you'll find out that you like it and there's lots of ways to connect with each other. If you don't like it, then come back, okay? So you don't have to, you're not banished to the extension. But if you never try to give it a shot, about 700 people a weekend uh, only worship at the extension. So there's like hundreds and hundreds of people over there that love it and uh, that's where they come to exclusively. So let's give that a shot and uh, that way we'll have uh, seats and opportunities to interact and all those kind of things. We'll take advantage of it. Deal? And that did not sound very enthusiastic to me. Let me say that again. Deal? All right, thank you. We're in a new series right now called Creatures of Habit. And uh, in this series, we're talking about just kind of the human tendency to create and function by habits, which is, is great. In fact, there's a quote we've been using a lot. It says, habits make terrific friends and terrible enemies. Habits make terrific friends and terrible enemies. And so we've just been looking at that and saying uh, that's the way that we're wired. Could we take that tendency and use it to draw closer to God through it? So we looked at the scripture and the scripture talks a little bit about different types of habits. So there are bad habits or sinful habits that the scripture would identify. And just like anything sinful, the, the Lord would press in and say, hey, we need to rid our lives of that and replace that with something godly. So that's a sinful habit. There are what, we call, what I call benign habits in the scripture. So the, the most famous one is when uh, the apostle Paul says, exercises of some value, exercises of some value. I, I personally have memorized that verse and lived by it uh, over the years. But it, it's this idea that there are certain things we can do that are beneficial, they just won't save your soul, right? So in the new year, if you want to lose 10 pounds or start going to the gym, 
we would say, yeah, go for it. Like, that's great. It's good for you. But it doesn't save our soul. It doesn't change our relationship with God. It's just a good thing to do. There's other habits like that, social media, television, those kind of things. They're, they're fine it, as long as the stuff on it's appropriate. It's, it's no big deal. It's just not going to save your soul or change your life. Then the Bible talks about spiritual habits. So Jesus had spiritual habits. He, it was his custom to get away and be by himself. It was his custom to get away and to pray to the Father. And we've said, aha, that's the ones we want. If we could lean into those, those habits have eternal ramifications to them. Uh, those habits connect me closer to my creator God. If I could amplify those habits in my life, it would be life changing. And we took those two things and said, what are we like as North Americans? Uh, We found that the average young person in North America uh, interacts with media between seven and eight hours a day, TV, social media, radio, et cetera, seven, eight hours a day. Uh, The average North American spends three, three and a half hours just on social media a day, opening your phone up, Facebook, those kind of things. And then we looked and said, uh, of the people who pray in North America, uh, the survey says that of people who pray, the average person prays about 60 seconds a day. Of the people in North America who read their Bible, uh, 74% said, I read my Bible four to five times a year outside of church. So you take a spiritual habit and then you compare it to a benign habit And there's where you can look and say, oh, that's why my life's not changing, right? I want a different outcome, but my benign habits so overwhelm, because we're not even talking about sin, that's a given, right? My benign habits so overwhelm my spiritual habits, that's why I don't change spiritually, I don't change relationally, I don't change as a person, right? So TV, there's nothing wrong with TV unless you're gonna watch the Steelers later and then you worship the devil, right? So there's nothing wrong with that or social media, there's nothing wrong with it, it's not the issue, it's that it robs and takes all of the extra energy from me spiritually. So if I prayed more than 60 seconds, four to five times a year, so basically I never read my Bible on a regular basis, what would happen in my life if I changed it? So we introduced some spiritual habits, and the first one we introduced was the habit of fasting, fasting. Spiritually, fasting is this, fasting is when I deprive myself of something I habitually want or need for the purpose of spiritual growth. I deprive myself of something I habitually want or need for the purpose of spiritual growth. So I'm gonna take something that is a habit in my life, uh, food, coffee, Facebook, whatever, I'm on purpose, I'm taking it out of my life. It's not sinful, I'm just taking it out of my life for a period of time so that when I reach for it, I'm reminded to spend time with God. So I invited you guys on a a 21-day fast with me. We're 14 days into it. If you have not joined us yet, I wanna invite you to go on a seven-day fast with us and uh, finish up. And you'll notice that I I am doing that. And when I reach for the thing that I I deprive myself of, it reminds me, right? I've stopped my, I've gone, I like stop. I'm like, ooh, I'm not supposed to, not supposed to be doing that. And it reminds me to pray, to spend time with God. And so if you exercise that habit, I guarantee you, you've been praying more than 60 seconds a day. I guarantee you've been thinking about God more than you would normally think about God. That's the purpose of fasting. And it's a habit. It's something we can return to now and again when we want to kind of amplify our relationship with God. The second habit we introduced was the habit of prayer. 
prayer, and we said prayer is our interactive conversation with God. So prayer is not reciting a poem. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take, which is a very morbid prayer to teach a child. But anyways, uh, it's not reciting a poem, and it's not just a religious activity. Prayer is me interacting with God. The Bible says I pray without ceasing. So it's me kind of interacting, talking with God all day, every day. When I reach for what I habitually want or need and it's missing, I go to prayer, God I pray for. And we talked about how to pray and what prayer was, what Jesus taught us last weekend. Okay, so we laid down those first two habits. If you miss those conversations and you want them, go out online, graceohio.org. You can watch them or listen to them there. Uh, Go to the Grace Church app. You can watch it or listen to it there. Go to uh, Grace Church uh, website and you can sign up for the Grace Church podcast, which will come to your phone automatically every week and you can listen to it there. Or you can give me like 500 bucks and I'll come to your family room and preach a sermon for you again. Either way, uh, we'll handle this, but we wanna get you up to speed, okay? If you want to engage in those things, they're all out there encourage you to lock into those conversations. I want to show you a third habit here. And the third habit is this. We want to talk about the habit of having daily Bible time. Uh, Daily Bible time. And this is the definition. The definition is this. Taking daily time to learn God's heart and mind by engaging his clearest form of communication to us. I'm going to take time every day to learn God's God's heart and mind by engaging his clearest form of communication to us. The clearest form of communication from God to humanity is the Bible or the word of God or the holy scriptures. There's a bunch of ways that we say it, but it's the Bible. And we wanna spend time in the Bible every day. So you need to read your Bible every day. Spend time in your Bible every day. Now when I say that, if you were raised in church, that's gonna elicit some emotions within you, right? And uh, some of the emotions would be things like this. In fact, I'll say this, if you weren't raised in church, you're probably better off in, in this particular circumstance because read your Bible every day tends to be packed if you were raised in church. So uh, if I say read your Bible every day, some of us would hear that and we'd hear it through the lens of punishment. Punishment. Uh, I was raised in a church, was raised in a religious school, and when I got detention once or twice a week, uh, what we had to do in detention was we had to go to detention and we had to copy the Bible verse by verse is what we had to do. So I'm in like Zephaniah, like copying in the old English, and it was punishment. So like spend time in the Bible, I'm like, what did I do, right? And so it's a punishment thing. Uh, For some of us, when we hear read your Bible every day, we hear it through the lens of guilt. Guilt. Um, If you were a better Christian, you would read your Bible more, right? You, You need to get your act together and read your Bible. And so we hear it as guilt. We hear it in terms of of failure, we read some story about some amazing saint and he prayed like 72 hours and there was an impression where his knees were on the floor and he like read the Bible and copied it and memorized it in three languages and you're like, oh man, I stink. I'm terrible at this, right? So it's it's a guilt thing. For some of us, when we hear the, the idea of read your Bible, what we hear is dread. Do you know, listen to this, The average man, the average male in North America, 90% of men do not read a book cover to cover after high school. Did you know that? Don't point at your husband. That's not nice at all, right? We don't read. We're not reading. So it's like, oh, read? Come on. We'll we'll read a manual for work to make the machine work or get, get up to speed on a project or a procedure we need to do. 
But like just reading for enjoyment is something that most people don't do. They don't finish that. So it's like, ah, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a reader, right? And then the other emotion that comes with it is a bit of self-reliance. So when I say read your Bible every day, some of us are like, I do. I read my Bible every day, right? And that's, that's the way you sound. And so it's, I am Bible man, you know? And so we, we look at that and, and we have to be careful because when we say read your Bible every day, we're not saying cram your head full of Bible trivia. We're saying are we interacting with God, right? It's a, it's a different thing. So read your Bible every day, what does that mean? So I wanna talk about how and why how and why we need to instill the habit of daily Bible reading. Now, since most North Americans read their Bible four to five times a year outside of the church, that means most of us don't read our Bibles every day. So let me talk to you a little bit about how to do that. We'll just kind of hit this quick, and then we'll talk about why. So how do you read your Bible every day? Here it is, pretty simple. Number one, set aside time to do it. So we want to actually read our Bibles, listen to our Bibles, and concentrate on it. So I don't mean like read a verse on the back of your Thomas Kincaid coffee mug, right? I don't mean read your calendar. I don't mean like read the scripture tattooed on your friend's back at CrossFit. It's a, what I mean is like I'm alone with God and I'm reading the Bible and I'm concentrating on it. So set aside time to do that. Here's the second thing. Read your Bible every day by having a plan. So have a plan that I'm gonna read through. So don't do this. Don't be like, God, show me a verse and open up the verse and just look at something right, right away, right? Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. It's a real verse. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse three, right? So like, what does that mean? You know, so don't, don't do that because it, 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 you, it, you can pull stuff out of context and it's like loopy, but like have, have a plan. So I would say this, if you've never read your Bible every day, start with the book of John, right? Start with the book of John. It's a great place to get to know Jesus. And when you go to read the book of John, what I want you to do is, is find a passage, so a few verses that are categorized together. Most of your Bibles will organize that a little bit, so a few verses put together. Look at that passage and read it three times. Read it once to get the information, just like what's there, right? Second time you read it, ask yourself, what is Jesus like or what is God like, right? So Jesus has a personality, right? Jesus was uh, funny, he was sarcastic. This is the type of the part of Jesus' personality I try to emulate the most, right? So he's sarcastic and funny. He, he gets upset. He gets, his, he gets hurt emotionally. There's a lot there. So what is Jesus like? The third time you read it then, ask yourself the question, what does Jesus want me to be like? So if I'm taking Jesus' life and I'm following his life and I'm, and I'm importing his truth and making it a part of who I am, What's it say? What's he like? What's, what am I supposed to be like, right? And you just studied your Bible. So read the book of John, do that every day, right? And read each one three times, have a plan. Uh, the, th- the third thing I would say is read or listen consistently. Read or listen consistently. So don't, don't like uh, just, you know, throw some verses out and like you're done. Try to find a way that this is a part of your everyday life. If you're not a reader and you want to listen, that's great. There's like 100 million apps that you can listen to the Bible through and different voices, right? So whatever floats your boat. But when you're listening, pay attention to it. 
make some notes or, or do something where it actually has your attention. It's not just background noise. So do it consistently. And then the last thing is this, meditate on what you take in. So I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna meditate on it. Now, let me just clarify a little bit. Uh, Eastern religious meditation, which is what most of us are familiar with now, is this idea that I empty my mind, like hamana, 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 hummus, 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 right? Like I'm like, I'm like chanting or I'm yoga-ing or whatever I'm doing, you know, to do your meditation, and I'm emptying my mind. That is not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is the opposite. I'm filling my mind with scripture, okay? So I'm gonna meditate, I'm actually taking scripture and I fill my mind with it, and then I meditate on it or I marinate in that. And I'm thinking it through again and again and again, right? And I'm kind of getting all the meat off of the bone as I run those, those verses through my heart and through my, my life. So I'm gonna meditate on it, okay? So if you've, never, if you've never done that before, that's what we're talking about. So we're not talking about like throw a verse at something or you know, my calendar flipped it. That stuff's, it, I guess it's fine if, it, if, it's, if it's what you want. But we're talking about like a little bit more of a concentrated effort than that, all right? That's the how. Let's talk about the why. Why is this so important then? And what does God want us to connect through it? So grab your Bibles and open up to Psalms chapter 119. If you take your Bibles and kind of open them in the middle, you'll probably wind up in or near the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there under your chairs. It's page 425 in those Bibles. And if you want to use the app, open up the Grace Church app and the notes and the scriptures and everything will be right there for you. And let's talk about why. Why is this such a big deal? And why is it so important that we have a daily diet of God's word coming into our life? So here's the first thing. I'll show you this. It's important that we read the Bible daily because it allows us to know and understand God's heart and mind. It allows us to know and understand God's heart and mind. Look at verse 1 chapter 119 Psalms, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws, and I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, when we read those passages as North Americans, we're going to hear them in a certain way. So when we read words like law, statutes, precepts, command, righteous laws, decrees, we, <clears throat> we gonna, we're going to interpret those almost in a legal sense, and we're gonna hear those as rules and regulations. That's the way that our ear is gonna pick up those words. So if you're not careful, you're gonna read that and say, man, I will be blessed when I keep the rules and the regulations of scripture. Give me the rules, I'll keep the rules. And I'm blessed, life goes good when I keep the rules the way that I, God told me to keep the rules, right? And that's the mindset. I wanna know the rules, the, regular, the statutes, the creeds, the righteous laws, the precepts of God. Here, here's the thing, there are laws in the scripture for sure, right, for sure. We have to ask ourselves the question, why are they given? That, that's a big question, why are they given? This psalm that was written, this is a worship song. So one of the things we do when we sing worship songs, one of the biggest things we do, 
We will say the truth of God, but in a worship song, you're expressing affection to God oftentimes. So the writer here is expressing affection to God. He's not saying, I'm about ready to teach you a song to memorize the Ten Commandments. He's saying, God, I love these things. In fact, you'll see this more and more as we go through this chapter. I love these things, I'm blessed by them. And he's saying, I I love your heart, I love your law, your statutes, your decrees, your commands, your righteous law, because in knowing them, I learn your heart and mind for my life. It's my way of getting to know you. Now, you have to hear God as a loving heavenly father in order to interpret God correctly, okay? So I'm a father, my wife Heidi and I, we have six children, and I have certain laws, rules, commands, statutes, righteous laws, decrees and precepts that I pass on to my children. Why do I do that? I don't pass on the laws, the statutes and the commands from me to my children to control my children. That will not work. In fact, the older your children get, the less that works. You're not going to be able to control them, right? You can when they're little, you can't when they're bigger than you are, right? My boys are bigger than me. I have to call Heidi in when it gets physical, right? I mean, it's, a, it's like a job. So I'm not, I'm not giving them that if you don't do this, I'm gonna call the police and have you arrested. Right, that's bad parenting, it's never gonna work anyways, right? Why do I pass on statutes, rules, precepts, commands, decrees from my heart to my children's heart? I do that because I want to teach them how to honor and adopt their father's heart into their life. So I show them a way to do that. So for instance, I might have a law, a command, a statute, a decree, a righteous law, a precept that sounds something like this. Um, boys, you are not allowed to hit your sister. You're not allowed to hit your sister, right? Now, why would I say that? Boys, I'm letting you know, you hit your sister, you're going, you're going down a river. I'm calling the Medina County Sheriff. You're, you're, is that why I'm saying it? Or am I giving them a parameter so they can know my heart? Boys, I want you to love your sister the way that her father loves her. I want you to honor your sister the way that I honor her. I want you to have respect and be gentle with your sister the way that I am gentle and respectful to your sister. How would we do that, Dad? Well, we don't hit her, okay? Uh, As they get older, I might say, um, you're not allowed to talk to your mother that way. Or what? Or you're out of my house. No, it's never gonna work, right? Because I try, legally, you have to take them back in. I checked into it, right? So it's a, right? So why, why? Boys, you're not gonna talk to your mom. You don't treat your mom like she's one of the gang. Like she's one of, you don't, you don't, you don't treat your mom with bro code. I want you to love and honor and cherish your mother the way that I love and honor and cherish my wife. I want you to respect, I want you to trust, I want you to have affection for your mother the way that I would my wife. Here's the rule, the statute, the decree, the precept, the righteous law, you're not allowed to talk to your mother that way. So when a father 
passes down a statute or decree or rule of law, right, he, what he's doing, he's imparting his heart. And that's why the writer of Psalms is saying, I'm blessed. I'm not blessed because I kept my, I learned the rules, I kept my nose out of trouble. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm blessed because I know my father's heart and mind. He made it available to me. I can actually read about it. And that helps me to receive his passions and to live the way that he would call, cause me to live. Now, if I don't know God's word, I don't know those things. Those, are, those things are found in God's word. So I go to God's word every day because it helps me to know the heart and the mind of my heavenly father, right? Here's the second thing. I go to God's word every day because it helps me to break sinful habits. I go to God's word every day because it helps me to break sinful habits. I'm not looking to break sinful habits to keep my nose clean because remember, it's not, it's not a rule thing. I want to break sinful habits because sinful habits pull me away from God's heart instead of steering me to God's heart. And God's word directs me to his heart and helps me to rid myself of sin. Look at verse 9, chapter 119, Psalms. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statues as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your words. See, that's all affection. That's not resentment. That's affection. I want to know. Thank you for telling me. It's the joy of my life that I know the heart and the mind of God. And these are the things that are going to steer my life. And they're going to steer me away from sin and to the heart of God. Uh, verse 11 there is a fantastic verse. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, if you grew up in church, you might know that verse. It's kind of a, like a famous church verse, right? And I've, I've known that verse most of my life. I will hide your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. This is what I was taught to do with that. I was taught to, to do this. If you have a sin in your life, like you got a habit, uh, you, you're into porn or you're materialistic or you're talking back to your mom or whatever, what you got to do is you got to memorize a verse that counteracts that temptation. And then when that temptation comes out, you whip that verse out and you slap it down, right? That's, that's what you do. And, and I was kind of taught to do that. It was like a counter punch to the, the devil's going to punch you, you hit him back. Like with a, with a proverb, right? And that, that's what you're supposed to do. That, and, and some of that's fine, by the way. I mean, if it works for you, go for it, right? It's not what the passage is talking about. So I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I am going punch for punch with temptation, the scripture does not say, I have put your word in my head so I might not sin against you. I'm tempted, I remember a verse and boom, nailed it, right? It's not I put your word in my head so I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. That idea is this. It's the idea of treasuring it. I have taken what you've given me and I've woven it into my heart. It's becoming the operating system of my life. I've gone to your word. I love, I delight in your commands. Look at the rest of the passage. I delight, I love. I love that you taught me your heart and mind. Now I've taken your heart and mind and I've woven it into my heart 
because I don't want to sin against you. I want to be close to you. I don't want to be far away from you. And you show me how to move away from sin and to move towards you. I treasure it. I value it. I long for it. I delight in it. I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, this is how this works. I'm going to God's word. I'm doing it every day. And I'm looking first and I'm saying, okay, what is the heart and the mind of God? Well, he shows us. Like I just, I can read it. So I can, it shows me in the word. What is the heart and the mind of God? When I have this motivation then to align myself with the heart and mind of God, I'm gonna ask questions like this. I'm gonna look and say, okay, this is like daily living, going through life. What decisions are gonna please God? I'm, for, I'm faced with a decision. What's gonna please God? What's gonna displease God? What does his word say? Right? Um, what actions are gonna honor God? I can do this, I can do that, I cannot do this. I can, what actions are gonna honor God? What does his word say? Uh, what words are gonna represent God? Right? If I'm an ambassador, as if Christ himself were making his appeal through me, uh, I feel like saying this and that. What, God, I wanna know your heart. My, what, what is best gonna represent you? So I'm gonna value God's word and I'm taking that and I'm saying this is the driver of my life. Then I'm gonna take scripture and scripture's gonna start to answer and clarify those questions in my mind. So I'm gonna run into scriptures like uh, 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 set no unclean thing before your eyes, right? That's a proverb. Set no unclean thing before your eyes. Or um, there should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you, Ephesians chapter four. Um, Husbands and wives submit to each other, Ephesians chapter five. Uh, children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. That's what's inscribed on every paddle ever made. <laughs> children, obey your parents as unto the Lord, right? Your mother always emphasizes the unto the Lord part, right? So I'm gonna take those scriptures, I'm gonna weave it in. It's a hard mind, it's what God says. Now I'm hiding it, I'm valuing it. So it's not in my head, right? I told you that the Bible says you need to honor your father and your mother, Right, that's a head thing, it's never gonna work, right? You may get compliance if your kids are small enough to not be afraid of you anymore. But I want the heart. So I'm gonna look and I'm gonna say, okay, God says set no unclean thing before my eyes, and now the pornography temptation comes up, which is what, like 10, 15 times a day? And it's not, am I gonna, oh, I'm gonna make it through this temptation. That's not it. The question is, why? Why would my loving father tell me, law, precept, decree, right, statute, why would he tell me to set no unclean thing in front of my eyes? What's he, what's he saying? He's saying, don't sin because it hurts me. Sexual sin's the only sin the Bible says you commit against yourself. I'm hurting myself. The Bible's saying don't do this because it protects my wife, protects her. Uh, the Bible says I, I don't do this, it protects the church. Because the church, we're supposed to be a family, so we're brothers and sisters. And when I am into porn, what I do is I sexualize every relationship, so now I'm sexualizing my relationship with my sister. That's dysfunction protects the church. That, I'm hiding that. I'm looking and saying God values purity and I want to instill it anytime I have the opportunity to do it. Children, obey your parents as to the Lord. That, that's, not a, that's not a controlling verse that parents throw at their kids. Told you, 
right? And it's not a, it's not a verse that kids throw back as a control mechanism. I am 17 years old, 361 days, in four days, I don't have to listen to that verse anymore. Would that be the heart of a loving father? Is that why he gave a command? Or I'm hiding it, I'm treasuring it. What does God want? Why would my heavenly father tell me to obey my parents as if God himself were speaking to me? Why would he do that? Could it be because my childhood is practice for how I'm going to live the rest of my life in relationship with God. That my parents are tangible examples of me being humble and yielding myself to someone's authority that I don't always understand. And once I am no longer a child, I move that over to the rest of my life because I have to yield myself to my heavenly father and yield to his authority that I don't always understand. Ah, maybe God's asking me to practice for 18 years so that I can live the way that he really wants me to live. Now, is that something that a heavenly father would say to you? See how that works? So when I treasure and I value, I'm not filling my head, I'm filling my heart, and I'm always looking and saying, okay, why, why would dad make me or tell me? It's never because he's trying to control. God can control you, he can strike you dead. It's not hard for God to control you. He wants to impart his passion, his love, his heart, and his mind to us. So when I ask why, I treasure, and those things start to play out in my heart in a real way. Here's the next thing. I read the Bible every day because through it, I gain wisdom and maturity. Wisdom and maturity, this part's cool. I flip over a page to verse 97. Same chapter, 119, Psalms. I gain wisdom and maturity. Oh, how I love your law. See the affection? This isn't a guy that resents God telling him what to do. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate, it on, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words and my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts therefore I hate every wrong. The writer says, I meditate on your law every day and night. I, I, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers because of your statutes. I have more understanding than my elders because of your precepts. I love your word. Thank you for doing it. Now, what's he talking about? Here we go. The Bible, in another part of the Bible, the Bible talks about two types of wisdom. And to paraphrase, it's, it's worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, okay? So worldly wisdom is the collective social norms of any culture. So through all of time, every culture has had a collective social norm. Everybody does it this way, that's worldly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is wisdom that comes directly from God. God says do it this way, thus saith the Lord, is the old fashioned way of saying it. God said this is the way that you should do it, that's heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is the collective social norms of any culture through all time. So as North Americans in Northeast Ohio, we have collective social worldly wisdom that we're all familiar with. We were raised in it, okay? So uh, a, a, a worldly wisdom example would be things like this. Look out for number one. You gotta you got look out for number one. 
if you don't love yourself, you can't love other people, right? By the way, find that in the Bible, I'll give you my house. If you don't love yourself, you can't love other people. That's a, that's a social norm. We would say, well, yeah, we would tend to agree with it, why? Because we were raised in it, we've heard it since we were kids. You gotta, you gotta love yourself, right? That's a worldly wisdom. Uh, another worldly wisdom is that youth and beauty rule the day. Um, we live in this culture right now. Find out what the young people are doing and then everybody do that. Find out what the beautiful people are doing and then everybody do what the beautiful people are doing because somehow if you're young and attractive, you're supposed to be intelligent, right? And you don't have to think about that one too long. No, that doesn't work that way, right? So it's a, but it's, it's the way that our culture is driven right now. Um, freedom is doing what I want. One day I'm gonna be 18 and I'm gonna do what I want and I'm gonna be free and do whatever I want for the rest of my life. And that's our definition of freedom. Freedom is doing what I want. Uh, another one is uh, if it feels right, it must be right. Feels right, it must be right. Man, you gotta go with your gut. You gotta go with your gut. You gotta trust your heart. Your heart that's deceitfully wicked and no one can know it, David says. But you gotta go with your heart, right? Now that's worldly wisdom. Now here's the thing with worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom played out to its logical conclusion always collapses. And it always brings about pain and it always makes a mess, okay? So you take something like uh, look out for number one. That sounds great as long as it only applies to you. But when your husband decides that you're old and he wants to run off with some young thing because it made him happy and he looked out for number one, or your boss looks and, and he took all the money out of the company, now everybody lost their jobs because he had to look out for number one, all of a sudden it creates chaos because it's worldly wisdom. Uh, youth and beauty. Youth and beauty, it sounds good if it applies to you, but when you're old and your beauty has faded, right, it results in chaos. All of a sudden when your grandma is buying her jeans at the same store you do, that just gets creepy, right? It's like, no, no, no. Or when we're listening, when young people are defining the direction of a culture and they have no experience or maturity, it leads to chaos in the culture. They haven't been around long enough to learn the lessons of life to make wise decisions. So it causes chaos. A freedom is doing whatever you want. That sounds great. As long as no one exercises their freedom towards you. So I, you have something, I really want it, so I took it. I'm free, right? Uh, I, I wanted your body, so I used it. And we have no relationship, because I'm free. I don't want to be tied down in a relationship, right? It sounds good until you play it out. Uh, if, it, if it feels right, do it. Go with your heart. You got to go with your heart. Well, you just justified every terrorist on the planet. What are they doing? They believe in what they're doing. They believe that if they blow people up, they're honoring Allah. So are we gonna say, well, that's a way to live? So all earthly wisdom collapses on itself. That's what happens. So now this is, this is, this is where we get trapped. If I've only been raised in earthly wisdom, then I don't have anything else to make decisions on. 
So we get into situations like this. I'm in college. I got I find the love of my life. She's amazing. He is too. And we're just and we're gonna get married. Oh yes! And we did a video, and, and it's so great. And we're we're excited that we're getting married. And we look at each other, and we genuinely love each other. We genuinely care about each other. We genuinely want to build a life together, and we really want to do that and have the romantic fairy tale that we're married for the next fifty or sixty years. The problem is, we have two or three generations of divorce on both sides of the relationship, we have no idea how to be married. All we have is earthly wisdom. I don't, I don't have another paradigm of information. So how do I succeed? I only know to do what I saw other people do. I got a kid coming. I got, I'm so excited I got a kid coming. I'm gonna be a great dad. I wanna be a great dad. Well, that's, that's phenomenal. It's truly, it's phenomenal. Here's the problem. You, your dad's never lived with you. You may not even know who he is. So what you know about fatherhood is what you experienced as a child. And now how do I break that cycle? So we do this all the time. We watch our roommates make terrible decisions or our friends fall apart or our families implode. And we're looking and saying, man, I don't want that but I don't have any other pair, I don't have another set of information to get me from that to what I dream of having. What should I do? Well, I have to bring in a different stream of information that's directly from God. Where do I find that at? I find it here. I don't know how to have a, a marriage at last. Well, the Bible teaches us how to do that. I don't know how to be the parent. Well, the Bible teaches how. I don't know how to be a true friend. I don't know how to make wise life decisions. I don't know how to handle my finances. It's all in the book. The precepts, the decrees, the righteous law, the statutes of God. God shares all of those things for us. And when I take those things, look at it, verse 97, I love your law and I meditate on it day and night. I'm gaining my wisdom from outside of my environment and my circumstances. I meditate on it day and night, and what's it do? Well, your commands, they make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insights because of your statutes. I have greater understanding than my elders because of your precepts. Because the heart and the mind of God is something that I'm taking in, I'm hiding, I'm treasuring. I have a different operating system and it causes me to live above whatever the, sol- the social norms of the day happen to be. And I get a different outcome in my life. See how that works? Here's the last thing. The other reason why it's so important for me to read the Bible every day, verse 105, chapter 119, Psalms, because your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Reading the Bible every day, what it does is it helps me find God's will for my life. Because the Bible says of itself that it's alive and active. So God actually communicates to us through the Bible. Now, it is not weird, it, 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 but it's spiritual. So let me, let me uh, describe it to you. So um, 17 years ago, uh, Heidi and I were trying to make some life decisions and we decided that it was time for us to make a change in, our, in my career, in our ministry, in our life direction. 
So my old boss, Pastor Bob Combs, came to me, the, the, the guy I took the church over from, he retired, and came to me and he said, hey, he goes, I have an opportunity for you. What if you went up to Bath and started the Bath campus of Grace Church? I said, I hate that idea and everything about it. And he said, would you pray about it? And you had to, because as a pastor, you like have a contractual obligation to pray about things. So I, I said, I prayed about it. So what I did, and this is what we tend to do, what we'll often do when we're trying to find God's will for our lives is we'll go ask people. And we'll take a poll, and whoever votes the most on a particular issue, that's the decision that we make. So I did that. So I went and I started asking people, what do you think I should do for my life? And I went, every time I went and I asked somebody, what do you think the next step of my life should be, they offered me a job, like straight up. So I went, I went and talked to this friend. I was like, what do you think I should do? He's like, you should come here and work for me in Philadelphia. And I went, what do you think? You should come here and work for me in Indiana. And this other mentor, oh, you should come here and work for me in Chicago. So by the, in my effort to decide what to do about Bath, Ohio, I wound up with four job offers. And so that wasn't helpful at all. And here I am, I wanna know God's will. Like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to make my path straight. I, I want your will to be done in my life, right? Our prayer last week, your will be done. So I didn't know what to, what to do. Frankly, of all those four job offers, coming to Bath, Ohio was the bottom of those job offers because you know how the people in Bath are, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't want to, right? I didn't want to do that. So it, was, it, it literally was the last thing I wanted to do. So I wanted God's will in my life. Ready? So I started a fast. I purposely deprived myself of something I wanted or, eventually wanted or need for the purposes of growing closer to God. So I cut something out of my life because I wanted to spend the day in prayer and in the word, right? Every time I reached for that thing and it wasn't there, I was praying. So I was praying without ceasing. So Heidi and I are praying like all day, every day, that God would show us his will. Now I want to interact with the word of God. So I went to California, had like a trip I had to take to California. And while I was out there, uh, there's a real famous pastor out there that I wanted to listen to. So me and a few buddies went to uh, his church and we wanted to see the church and see what it was like. And we're listening to this pastor preach. I could not tell you the sermon. I have no idea what the sermon was. I have no idea what the point of the sermon was. What I know is this. He was talking about this guy in the Bible named Philip. And Philip was moved by the Holy Spirit to go out into the middle of this wilderness and share Christ with someone. And he said, I want you to, I want you to open your Bibles to that passage and read this. And so I did, and I read Philip and moved by the Holy Spirit in the middle of the wilderness to share Christ with someone. And that's the last thing I heard that night from him. The rest of the night was God speaking to me. No vision, right? No, no weird spiritual thing the Holy Spirit of God speaking to my heart, and what I saw was, the, was wilderness, being led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness. And for me, the thing that I understood the least, that I had the least amount of confidence to do, the thing that I felt I had the least mastery of was coming up here and starting a church. And the, not cry about it. And the Holy Spirit, through his word, talked to me and said, if you go to the wilderness, I'll show up. That's what I want you to do. And I found God's will. Fasting, prayer, the scripture, now suddenly I know, right? And that's how God speaks. Now listen, 99% of the time, when God speaks to you, 
He sounds like the Bible. 99% of the time when God speaks to you, he sounds like the Bible. And it's not because you open your Bible and it like the words move around, Bill, by the Taurus. That's never gonna happen. If that happens, you call me immediately. We have other issues, right? But that, that, that's not the way that's gonna work. But what am I doing? I want to know the heart and mind of God. Listen, guys, listen. God wants to be known. He's not a mystery. He's not hiding from us. He wants to be known. And when I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm asking God, God, I don't know what college to go to. God, I'm not, should I go to grad school or should I pay debt off? God, we can, my career, they're offering us this transfer. Should I take the transfer? When I have, this is not sin. This is not a right, wrong decision. This is I want to sync up with you, God. I just don't know, right? You go to God in prayer you remind yourself through a fast and then you go to God's word and you might be shocked that God will interact with you. Because praying God your will be done is a prayer God absolutely loves and one that he wants to respond to, right? So why is it important to be in the word of God every day? Well, so I can know God, right? God, I wanna know you, great. Grab a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, let's hang out, because I want to know you too. And we can interact with each other in those ways, all right? Okay, that's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to pray for us in a minute, and after I pray, we're going to bring some scriptures up on the screens, okay? Uh, so we're going to do this a couple times as we pray and we sing, and what I want us to do is I want us to read the scriptures three times, Right? Get the information, who is God, who does God want me to be? I want us to meditate on those scriptures. I'm just gonna, what, what would that mean to my life, right? And let's practice a little bit what we're talking about by spending time with the Lord through prayer and in his word, okay? And then the band will do music and we'll sing and stuff as well, okay? So let me pray and then we'll, we'll do that to close our time out. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for giving us your word, Holy Spirit. Uh, the scripture says it's you who wrote it, uh, not by the will of the writer, but by your will, you inspired, you directed. So we thank you for your inspired, complete, infallible, authoritative word that we can build our life off of, that we can trust, and that we can know you through. God, I thank you for the saints of old. Lord, you look back through the centuries and the church, Lord, is preserved your word, that people have thrown their bodies and died for your word, Lord. They, they've seen the value of hearing from their creator. And so God, I pray that with our easy accessibility that we don't become callous or take for granted, but that we humble ourselves and we humbly accept the word that you wanna plant in us. Do that in our hearts even now, Jesus, in this time. In your name we pray, amen.